Today's scriptures from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Heavenly Father, in these next few minutes, I pray that as we open your word and we experience you in your word, Lord, that you would remove distractions from our mind. And God, you would give us the ability to receive your word just as it is. The truth given to us from heaven whereby we can believe. And so God, I pray that you would be glorified in this time. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I know I normally say that, but I figure you pretty much got it by now. Um, the, uh, I was thinking about this story, I guess... Now, it was probably 12 or 13 years ago at this point, but uh, about 12 or 13 years ago, I was driving down the road and in, in Texas and was pulled over by a state trooper because I was speeding. And before you think I'm going to say I was not, I was, in fact, speeding. Not dangerously, but I was speeding. So I should have been pulled over. Uh, I had the experience, uh, it, it was a pleasant experience actually, I was pulled over, I, I gave him driver's license, insurance, all that stuff, anyway, it went about my business, and then a few days later I called the, the county courthouse to set up defensive driving, because I didn't want my insurance premiums to go up, so I set up a defensive driver and called to do so, and when I called in, the lady uh, was very kind, and she said, can you give me the ticket number, and so I gave her the number off of the ticket, and she looked it up, um, and she said, um, I said, well, I would like to uh, set up defensive driving. She said, okay. Um, well, I see that you live here in Bellevue. Now, that's important. We, we lived in Bellevue, Texas. But actually, we didn't live in Bellevue, Texas. We lived in Vashti, uh, which is an unincorporated community outside of Bellevue. It's kind of like where we live now. Um, instead of saying, uh, we, we tell people we live in Bowling Green, but actually, we apparently live in the great city of Gherkin. And so... Um, for those of you who know. So that's where we live. And, um, but anyway, it was like that. And, and Bellevue had, was, was a thriving metropolis. It had 
two businesses and at a gas station uh, that kind of tripled. It was a gas station, a feed store, and a restaurant um, all at one time and the K-12 through school. Those were the two things in Bellevue. And we lived about 15 miles outside of Bellevue where there were about 85 in population and I am pretty certain that 60 of those were cows because I never saw 85 people in that area. And so I called, and she said, you, you live in Bellevue? I said, yes, I, I do. And she said, okay, um, and what's your name? And I gave her my name, and she said, okay, well, I, there's one problem. You're not eligible for defensive driving. I said, how am I not? I said, I haven't had a ticket in 10 years. How, how am I not eligible for defensive driving? And then she said something that sent chills down my spine, and still actually at this moment sends chills down my spine. She said... Well, you're not eligible for defensive driving because you have six outstanding warrants for your arrest. And at that point, I really, all I could hear was a roaring in my ears. I, I don't know what she said, uh, really, um, except that as she was laying out the, the different warrants and what, the, I mean, I'm, we're talking like burglar of a vehicle and all, I mean, it was like all kinds of stuff. And she's laying all these things out, and at the end of it, um, I, I, I got out enough to say, ma'am, I have no idea what you're talking about. That certainly cannot be me. And her response was, well, sir, with all due respect, everybody says that. <laughs> I don't doubt that at all. I'm certain most people say that. And then she began to ask me questions, and, and looking back on it, as I have over the years, I realize now that she was asking me questions, not because she needed any, she had all of my information there on the ticket. She knew all the information, but she's asking me questions. She's trying to keep me on the phone to give the deputies long enough to get to my house to pick me up. Um, and she said, now, you live in Bellevue? She gave my address, all this other stuff. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, and your name is Jeremy Rogers. You live in Bellevue, Texas. I said, yes, ma'am. Of course, I'm really not paying attention. I, I'm, I'm just so overwhelmed because I have absolutely no idea what this woman is talking about. And then she says, now your name is Jeremy Allen Rogers from Bellevue, Texas. And I was about to say yes when I, something jogged in my mind. And I said, wait a second. What did you say that name was? Now, it's a city of 85 people, roughly. She said, your name is Jeremy Allen Rogers from Bellevue, Texas. I said, no, ma'am, my name is Jeremy Alton Rogers from Bellevue, Texas. And she said, huh, well, that's funny. I'm sorry. I didn't think it was funny at all. <laughs> she thought it was hilarious. She was like, can you believe the, I mean, she was going on and on. And I'm sitting here sweating. I had already seen my life pass before my eyes. I'm trying to figure out if, like, life insurance transfers, if I go to prison. Like, I don't, I don't know how that works. So as she's laughing, she registered me for defensive driving and then hung up the phone. And I remember that feeling and that overwhelming feeling because I was completely oblivious to what she was saying. I had no point of reference. I was just scared. I was overwhelmed. I was thinking, did I do something that I don't remember doing? I can't, I'm just, I'm completely oblivious to what this woman is talking about. Well, the dictionary definition of the word oblivious is lacking active conscious knowledge or awareness. Unaware or uninformed, lacking understanding. Now, these two disciples who were walking on the road to Emmaus were, by any definition of the word, they were oblivious to what was going on. They had a partial understanding about who Jesus was, but they didn't truly understand 
who Jesus was. Like most every, or many at least, many Jews of that day, they had an understanding of the Messiah as one who would come and be a military, a powerful military leader who would overthrow the Romans, set them free from Rome's shackles, set up the, 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 the nation of Israel, and everything would be great from that point on. That, that was their view. That was what they understood. That's what they believed about the Messiah. But because that's what they believed about the Messiah, they had no understanding really. They, they really didn't grasp the idea that the Messiah would die. And if they didn't believe that the Messiah would die, they certainly did not have a place in their theology for a risen Messiah. They, they'd never thought about that. That wouldn't even be on their radar. See, they had a theology about who Jesus is, but it was an incomplete theology. And because of that, they were oblivious to what had happened. They were oblivious to what had occurred. And maybe this morning, just like these disciples, they were, they were discouraged, they were disappointed, they were despondent. Maybe that's you this morning. Uh, maybe you're a believer and, and you're, you're struggling with life. And you're struggling with life because it, it seems as though you were told when you came to Jesus um, that everything would work out perfectly in your life. And that once you trusted Christ, everything would go well and you have found your situation to be anything but that. And that is because you have been sold a false narrative. You've been sold a false belief. Things are going differently than you thought they were going to go. And that's because if you're truly going to live this life and you're going to understand who Jesus is, to know Christ in his resurrection, you have to know him in his revelation. If you're going to really understand who Jesus is in his resurrection, you have to know who Jesus is from his revelation of himself. Because of the resurrection of Christ, as I've spoken of several, uh, over the last several weeks, you know, we, we usually build up to Easter and it's this wonderful event. And it is, it's the climax of, of the story. And yet at the same time, because of the resurrection, everything is changed for you and for me and every human being in history. Everything is changed because of the resurrection. It's like, a, like an earthquake. Yes, things built up and an earthquake is devastating, but truthfully the ripples of that earthquake are felt far and wide. And the ripples of the event of Jesus' death and resurrection are ripples that are felt throughout eternity. And so when we think about this and we recognize that existence will never be the same for anyone in this passage, we'll see this morning that the resurrected Lord, Jesus, he turns ignorance into understanding. And in order to do so, we have to realize that partial understanding will lead to discouragement and disbelief. Partial understanding will lead to discouragement and disbelief. If you look at verse 13, it says, That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. So the, that very day, what day? The day that, that, if you look at the passage previous, you'll realize that it was the same day that Mary had gone to the tomb. So this is Easter Sunday afternoon. That's, this is when this is happening. And these two disciples are on their way to a village called Emmaus, which is seven miles outside of Jerusalem. So they're headed to this village after 
um, the Easter Sunday morning happenings. Um, and it says that they are headed there and they were talking with one another about all these things that had happened while they were talking and discussing together. You know, the ESV says while they are talking and discussing. Others say while they were conversing. Uh, but uh, the, it can also be translated while they were talking and arguing with one another. They were arguing with one another. They're confused. They don't even know what they've seen happen. They don't understand what's going on um, with, this, with this whole narrative. They, they just don't get it at all. We also know that the two of these, they are not one of the 11, or they're not two of the 11 disciples. We know that because at the end of the chapter, we find out that the 11 are still back in Jerusalem. So these are different. We do know one of them's name is Cleopas. We don't know who the other one is. Um, but they are headed to Emmaus nonetheless, and they're arguing over what has happened over these last several days, all the things that were happening. And it says in verse 15, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. This, this word here, it's, it's in, and you probably, I'm certain, do not care about this other than the fact of what it means. But uh, it's in the passive tense, and some translators refer to it as the divine passive because there's no person that it says does it. But this is not something they did. It doesn't say they didn't recognize him. It says their eyes were made to not recognize him, which means someone did this to them. Um, this is probably, in, in reference to what we talked about last week, this is probably the same exact thing that happened to Mary Magdalene at the tomb, where she could not see. She didn't really understand who Jesus was and didn't recognize him. So their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And in verse 17, he says, What is this conversation that you're holding with one another as you, talk, as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. They stood still, looking sad. Gloomy and sullen. They're walking along the road. And it was not uncommon. We've talked about this before. But it was not uncommon when someone was taking a trip for other people to come alongside them. Because there's safety in numbers as they're walking. So it's not strange that someone would come alongside them and walk with them. So these two are walking to Emmaus. Jesus comes up alongside them. And they're walking there. And Jesus says, what are you all talking about? And the moment that he asks them this, they just stop. In the middle of their, their, their walk and their, their journey, they stop and they look sad. That's what Luke tells us. They, they look sad. They're gloomy. Why? Because their master, their Lord, their rabbi, he is dead and they are upset. Then one of them, verse 18, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem? who does not know the things that have happened there in these days. Now, he says, are you the only person in all of the area who doesn't know what's been happening? Are you the only one? You're the only visitor. He has no idea who he's talking to. And he's saying, look, everybody knows. Everybody knows about what has happened with Jesus and the crucifixion and all those things? Everybody knows. It's as if he looks at Jesus and says, where have you been behind a rock? It just went right over your head, right? He was in a tomb. There was a stone. Where have you been behind a rock, under a rock? I, sorry, I, I can't make these things work for y'all. He says, where are you at? What, 
what do you think? You don't know about this? I mean, they're just shocked that, that Jesus would have no idea, or this one they don't know, this stranger. And they say, and so Jesus, being, you know, the master teacher, he, he looks at them and he says, what things? Now, does Jesus, of all people, know what things? Of course, they were done to him. He knows what things. Why is he asking them what things? He's asking them this because he wants to hear their version of the story. He wants to hear what they think. He knows what happened. He just wants to know what they think happened. And so then they give their version of the story. And, and, when, and at first blush, when we read it, we go, well, I don't necessarily see anything glaringly wrong with it. But actually, there are some major things wrong with their version of the story. It says, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Okay, so we've got this, this explanation about what has happened. What, what are some things that should jump out to us? Well, several things that should jump out to us. First, when they're giving an explanation about what has happened, they don't say, oh, because Jesus of Nazareth, who was a man, but also the son of God. That's not what they say. They say Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, a man. They're identifying him only in his humanity. They, they have no other identification for him. Only in his humanity. So is or was and is Jesus a man? Well, of course. Of course he was a man. So that's not incorrect. But then they say he is a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word. Was he a prophet? Absolutely, he was a prophet, mighty in deed and word. He was all those things. And so they're not wrong. Here's where they're wrong. They said he's a man, but the inference is that he was only a man. They, they don't give any indication outside of that. So he's a man, but he's only a man. So they're right, but only sort of. And then they say he was a prophet. But see, the way it's inferred is that he was only a prophet. And see, he was a prophet, but he's so much more. So they're sort of right, but sort of not. Then they began to lay out what happened, that the, the chief priests had him crucified, all those different things. Then they say something interesting in verse 21. But we had hoped. Past tense. We had hoped. Why? Well, the first thing they said is he's a man, but he's only a man. So they're sort of right, but sort of not. He's a prophet, but only a prophet. So sort of right, sort of not. Then they said, and he's still dead. Because they're speaking about him in the past tense. We had hoped. Right? So the, these, these understand, or the understanding they have of Jesus is at best partial. They have a partial understanding about who Jesus is and what he has done. Then, to end it, they say, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things have happened. So they did listen. They did listen to Jesus. They knew Jesus had said that on the third day he would raise himself up again. But notice this. What are they saying? Well, he, he said he was going to rise on the third day. It's the third day. We haven't seen him, so it must not have happened. We can't see him, so it didn't happen. 
And then they, they go further with that, that there were women who went to the tomb, and they amazed us, and they told us these things. But you know the, the passage, he says they amazed us, but in Luke 24, verse 11, the people who were with uh, the disciples, it says, uh, but when these words, uh, when the women gave them this testimony, it says, these words seemed like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. So what, what's happening here? They're giving an explanation of what Jesus has done and who he is, but they have no belief in the resurrection. They, they, they say, simply put, we heard Jesus say it, but we haven't seen him. And if I can't see it, I won't believe it. That's what I, they say it repeatedly. We didn't see him. They didn't see him. So it didn't happen. See, a partial understanding of who Jesus is can be a very, very dangerous thing. It can be a dangerous thing because entire cults and false theologies are built on partial understandings of Scripture. Um, case in point, if you listen to the culture, they will tell you things about Jesus that are only half right. I have some experience, at least in the last several days, of people telling me that it's wrong to call sin, sin, because Jesus ate with sinners. He certainly did. He most certainly did. He also never condoned sin, always called out sin, and then told them to stop sinning. Okay, so you don't get to have part of it. A partial understanding of Jesus will lead you to falsehood every single time. You need a full understanding of who Jesus is. Jesus is love and mercy. God is love and mercy and grace. But God is also judgment, righteousness, holiness, and wrath. You say, well, isn't he... Isn't God just love? No, God's not just love. God's love and wrath. God's mercy and righteousness. God is truth and love and holiness. He's all of those things in equal measure. So if you only take a part of him, you ruin in the entire picture of him. A partial understanding of Jesus Christ will lead you to a place of discouragement. If you're a believer, it'll lead you to a place of discouragement and disappointment and all other things. And the reason is this. It's because when you have a partial understanding of Jesus, you're told things like believing in Jesus Christ means that everything in your life will go well. That you will have health, that you will have wealth, and you'll have everything else under the sun. And what every human being who's ever lived realizes is that's not true. So then what happens is we're led to a place of discouragement and a, and a place of despondency. And it's really... One of two things, we're either led to a place where we think God's mad at us or we're led to a place where we constantly think we did something wrong. But the truth is sometimes life happens. Hard things, bad things, painful things happen. And when those things happen, the scripture tells us things like God chastises or disciplines those he loves. It tells us to consider it joy, brothers and sisters, when we encounter various trials and difficulties. We are told repeatedly, hey, if they treated Jesus the way they treated Jesus, how much more will they treat us this way? We're told those things. But we don't want to, you, you never want to take your, your, your cross-stitching stuff or, or your screen printing stuff and print on a pillow where Paul tells Timothy, I tell you the truth, everyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That is not a fun pillow to put on your couch. But it's the truth. 
But when you have a partial truth, then whenever something happens, we don't have the, we don't, we don't have the faculties to process it. And we think something's wrong. Well, there is something wrong. It's called sin. Sin entered this world and damaged everything. So when someone gets cancer, do they have cancer because of their sin? No. But do they have cancer because of sin? Yes. Because illness and pain and, and, and heartache, those things entered the world because of sin. And so the only answer to, as I said last week, the problem is not those illnesses and the problem is not those pains and those hurts. The problem is sin and the only remedy is Jesus. And when you think that trusting in Christ means your life will be easier and, and simpler, you're, you've been, can I just be really honest with you? You have been completely misled and lied to. But what you have been told in the fullness of Scripture is that while you might not be removed from those difficult circumstances, you will also never be alone in those difficult circumstances. Could it be that you're here this morning and you have a partial understanding? A partial understanding of who Jesus is. And, and you believe that like these two, he, he was a great teacher and he was an amazing prophet. But that's it. Well, you're missing a major portion of the puzzle. You're missing a major portion of the story. See, because... If you're sitting here today and you're discouraged and you're despondent and you're disappointed because you've been given this impression of, of, of who Jesus is that's not the fullest, all the information, you haven't been given everything that you need to know and you're living with only one part of the story, I want to tell you this. The answer to our problem is found in Jesus. But let, me, let me finish this because last week that's what I said, that was my point. This week it goes a little further in this story. The answer... To our problem is found in Jesus as he is revealed in his word. Jesus responds to their story. Oh foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Notice that. He calls them foolish ones and slow to believe because they don't understand what? They don't understand all that the prophets have spoken. They understand part of it. Messiah, delivering Israel, redeeming his people. They understand part of it. They just don't understand all of what the prophets said. So Jesus is saying you have a partial understanding. You have a partial understanding, but you don't have all of the understanding. So it says, was, or Jesus asked him, Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Jesus asked this as if, if you read the Old Testament, you should know this. They, they should know this. That's what he's telling them. You should be aware of this. Then, the greatest sermon that only two people ever got to hear. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I love that. One verse to describe the greatest sermon that only two people ever heard. Where he starts at Genesis. He says, hey, you remember Genesis 3.16? Uh, you know, the whole... Um, the serpent will uh, bruise his heel, but he'll crush his head. Yeah, let me tell you about how that was me. This was Jesus' sermon. You remember um, in, in the scriptures when it says that Moses was uh, speaking to God at the burning bush? John eight fifty eight tells us that Jesus said, that was me. Um, whenever, uh, because in John eight fifty eight he said, before, Abra or before Abraham was, I am. He used the same phrase that God uses in John eight fifty eight to let us know that he was there. Or Jesus looks at them and he says, you remember in Isaiah when he says, by his wounds, 
we are healed? Jesus said, that's me. Like th- This is the most amazing sermon ever. It's an Old Testament survey from Genesis through Malachi where Jesus says, let me walk you through and show you how all of history, all of history is about me. And then it says, their eyes were opened. Because they, they drew near to the village. They sit down to have dinner. And as they sit down to have dinner, it says in verse 30, when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. That should sound familiar. If you're familiar with the Last Supper, it says, and Jesus sat with his disciples and he blessed the meal. And after he blessed the meal, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body which was broken for you. So we're given this to let us know he was saying basically the exact same thing. And in that moment, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. Now, what's miraculous in this moment? Well, what was, what's miraculous? You say, okay, well, I mean, he vanished. Yes, but the first miracle that happened in this instance is not that he vanished. The first miracle that happened in this instance is that their eyes were opened and they recognized him. That's a miracle. Why? Because when it said their eyes were essentially closed and they couldn't recognize him, that that was obviously someone else doing that. They didn't close their own eyes. They didn't recognize him. And now it says their eyes were opened, which means someone opened their eyes. Um, Who? Well, there's this supernatural being who created the world in the room with them, so I'm I'm betting it was probably him. And so it says their eyes were open and they recognized him and then he vanished. And I love, I love the response. And they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? If we're at the lunch pail together and we're having lunch, I, I'm, I'm there. You know, if you show up at the lunch pail at lunchtime, odds are you're going to meet me at some point. Okay, so... We're at the lunch pail, and we're having, we're having lunch, and they bring us the food, and we say, let's bow our heads, we're going to pray, and, and I pray, and I look up, and you disappear, okay? My response will probably be, I don't know, something like, wow, they disappeared. No response at all. They don't refer to his disappearance, to his vanishing, to anything. They immediately say, did not our hearts burn within us when he spoke to us and opened the scriptures for us on the road? Why? They didn't need to talk about his vanishing. The moment they opened their eyes and recognized him, they saw the man they saw beaten, the man they saw crucified, the man they saw buried, the man they had not seen in three days, the man who, for all intents and purposes, they thought his body had been stolen. Well, the moment they recognized him, guess what? Anything that would have been unbelievable was now completely believable. He vanished. Big deal. He rose. Right? That's what they're thinking. They recognize him and instantly it's like, well, who cares that he disappeared? He got out of the grave. So that's not shocking to them. But what happens? It says, they looked at one another and they said, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened the scriptures? 
They rose that same hour, returned to Jerusalem, found the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. And they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. So they recognized him, and then they say, Did not our hearts burn within us while he opened the Scriptures? Notice that their hearts were set ablaze by the truth of who Jesus is before they even recognized that they were talking to Jesus. So, was the power in that moment for them, was the power in that moment the fact that they were walking next to Jesus? Well, not really, because they didn't realize they were walking next to Jesus. The power in that moment was what they heard from God's word. That, that was the power. Did not our hearts burn within us? The emphasis is not, did, our, did not our hearts burn within us when he said these things. It was, did not our hearts burn within us when he opened the scriptures? See, their hearts were burning from what the word said about Jesus. Their hearts were ablaze because of what the word said about the Messiah. So why is that so important? Because we live in a culture, we live in a day, there are those in the community, there are those in the world, there are those even in the church. I mean, the authority of who Jesus is, is not found, heaven forbid, in the world or in the culture. The authority of who Jesus is, is not found in the opinion of someone you know. The authority of who Jesus is is not found in the Jesus that someone made up in their mind and begins sentence with, well, the Jesus I serve would never. And I'm going to tell you this and give you permission here. The authority of who Jesus is is not found in a preacher you like. The authority of who Jesus is is only found in the word of God. And I'm, like I said, I'm giving you permission here. If a preacher ever starts telling you about who God is and about who Jesus is, and he can't turn his Bible around and say, because look at verse whatever, stop listening to them. Because he is not, I have no authority. I'm a bumpkin from Kennefick, Texas, okay? I have zero authority. The word of God is the authority. They were blown away. Their hearts were set on fire by, by what the Word, I love this, by what the Word said about the Word, right? But by, by the Word of God. Their hearts were set ablaze by what the Word of God said about Jesus. And maybe you've been living with an incomplete understanding, an incomplete picture of who Jesus is and, and what He has truly done. He is the greatest teacher to ever live. But he is so much more. He is the greatest prophet. To ever live. But he is so much more. He is the son of God. He is the second person of the trinity. God of very God. The one who came to earth according to Philippians chapter 2. And here's the thing. He's the one who made everything. But not only is he the one who made everything. But Colossians tells us he's the one who made everything. And he's the one everything was made for. That's who he is. That's what the Bible tells us about who Jesus is. And if you have been living 
with an incomplete picture of who Jesus is. So you know this, he did come, as they, they partially understood, he did come to redeem his people. But to redeem, it means to pay a price in order to buy back. And he paid a price. He died. And then he rose again. And by doing so, he paid the price so that you could live. So I could live and have eternal life. Is that, is that the Jesus you've been familiar with? Is that the Savior you have understood? Is this the Savior you will trust today? And if you're a believer, maybe you're living in discouragement. And as I said, despondency because... It just seems like what you know about Jesus and, 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 and life, they don't, they don't fit together. Do you know why so many people in the church and so many people uh, who are believers in Christ, why they struggle so much to understand life and the way that things are? And so I, just don't, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. It's because there's an epidemic in the world, or there's an epidemic in the church, rather, of Christians who have their Bible at church and then they get in the car and they put it in the dashboard, on the dashboard, they put it in the seat next to them. Or they, they do take it inside, they set it on their bedside table and then the next time they touch it is the next Sunday morning when they get up and go to church. You will not ever understand truly who Jesus is if you're not living in his word daily. If, if you, I tell you this, if you're in a group or Sunday school class, and by the way, if you're not, you should be, but if you're in a group or a Sunday school class, that your teacher, your leader will agree with this. But if you're depending upon the 45 minutes roughly that they get of you and the 45 minutes that you get in here to be the full extent of your, your, your sustenance in Christ through his word, I tell you this, if you got up this morning and ate breakfast and then went the rest of this week, and didn't eat again until you ate breakfast next Sunday. You're going to struggle. Because you can't live. And I seem to remember Jesus himself saying something like this. Man does not live by bread alone. But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You must live in the word. In order to live by the word. And to be changed through the word. Because to know Christ in his resurrection, we must know him in his revelation.